The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome back to Today in Sports Betting. I am Devin Ellington, otherwise known as DALE007 on Twitter. This is a HoopBall gaming presentation, hoop-ball.com. Again, this is Today in Sports Betting, a part of the HoopBall family. You can find that HoopBall Gaming on Twitter, hoop-ball.com. Hello and welcome back. Glad to have you. Today is Tuesday, May 19th, 2020. And I am joined by someone today. You've heard me talk about the hoop ball stuff and the hoop ball this and the hoop ball that and all the commentary that we provide and all the content that hoop-ball.com puts out. Well, I had an epiphany and I thought it would be a great idea to have the Hootball family on a Hootball podcast. So I sat out on an adventure of finding and connecting with different Hootball contributors for our different pages. And so this week's going to be a bunch of fun, and we are kicking it off and starting it off with our buddy Greg Mraz, who covers the Bulls for Hootball Bulls. He's also involved with Pac-12 Stats. Stats at the Pac-12 Network, but I'm not going to sell him short. I don't want to do his background any disservice or injustice. So what I'm going to do now is I'll just have Greg come out from behind the curtain, may introduce him, and then he's going to give us a nice warm invitation into his life and his professional upbringing. Greg, how are you doing, bud? Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Uh, man, how how you doing? It's a beautiful morning here in San Francisco, California, Devin. I am always happy to jump on the show whenever you want. Glad that we've gotten a chance to do this for the first time. Yes, a little bit about myself. I work, granted it's on furlough right now, but that's how a lot of, but a lot of people are right now. Uh, stats with the Pac-12 Network. I am a stats producer, so I help out host talent producers, social media teams, long form, live events whatever you call it, with stats and research and trying to find and confirm trends across all sports, but mainly basketball and football. I am from the Bay Area. I grew up just a little bit north here in San Rafael, California. I went to college at Northwestern University where I was a history major, but in my time there, I decided that I wanted to be a broadcaster, so worked for the student radio station, then student TV station, then started doing some broadcasts through the athletic department's version of Big Ten Digital Network, which all the Big Ten schools have. They have their own streaming systems to where they can put on a BTN-style broadcast with students. Interned in the Cape Cod Baseball League, which is one of the premier collegiate summer leagues uh, on Cape Cod in 2013 and 2014, then broke into minor league baseball in 2015, spent two years with the Clinton Lumber Kings, came back home, worked one year with the independent San Rafael Pacifics. Then I went up to Big Sky Country and worked in 2018 with the Helena Brewers in the Pioneer League. Stayed in the Pioneer League in 2019, working with the Idaho Falls Chuckers, the Royals affiliate. And now I am back in the Bay Area, uh, hopefully getting back to work at Pac-12 Network pretty soon and hosting two podcasts, one here on the Hoopball Network, the Hoopball Chicago Bulls podcast, and MLB Morning Coffee, which is my own personal daily Major League Baseball podcast. It was daily, but as COVID has continued to ramble on, I'm kind of just running out of things to talk about. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that if baseball does return soon, I can get that show back to its original format, which was basically supposed to be like MLB Network's quick pitch for audio, you get in your car. Well, I guess you're not getting in your car now if you're working at home. Right. But, you know, you you wake up every morning and you get to hear everything that happened in Major League Baseball that night. Hmm. 
that was always one of my favorite parts. Um, you know, when I was listening to podcasts, I love getting that immediately after the game's wrapped up information. So that way, when you know, when you're listening to it in the morning, it's fresh. And you're also getting, <clears throat> excuse me, you're also getting previews for that night's game also. So you're making a really nice, smooth transition from day one, one day to the next for your uh, enjoyment and viewership of baseball. So it's uh, sports like that and hockey. I really always liked that um, where there were, you know, a lot of games throughout the season. It was just a lot of – it was easy, an easy way to kind of take in and condense as well as, uh, you know, just intake the um, – the slate of games as they came to you as well as not forgetting what happened the night before. So uh, one thing I wanted to touch on, you did mention, uh, you made mention of the stats production uh, work that you do. So are you one of the people that are in the earpieces of the producers that are saying, Hey, this stat means this or here, use this in your bit or how's that work? So basically how it works for studio shows is that there are two different things, two different setups that we have. So if it's a remote show, I am in the control room on a headset Mm. and I am talking to the talent that is at whatever site it is, whether it's the Pac-12 championship game uh, for football or the Pac-12 men's and women's basketball tournaments. And when we're actually having shows in the studio, the producer's in the control room, but I'm actually on a little sidecar desk chair Mm. just off to the side of the anchor desk. So basically, for me, my communication is with the host. Mm. So if the producer needs something, they'll communicate it through the host, or the producer will Slack me or text me at that time. But basically... When it comes down to showtime, it's me and the host communicating about whatever figure they might want to add to their highlight or to their tag going into break. So for a lot of the digital and long-form features, it's people putting requests in our specific Slack channel and our three-man department responding to them and running with them, making sure that we're confirming information because that goes out on live broadcasts, that goes out on long-form web stories, and it certainly goes out in a lot of tweets. So uh, the one thing that does bother me is when sometimes people ask questions that are so obvious Mm. that they don't really need our help and we got to be focused on something else. I'm not trying to sound, uh, you know, prickly here, but maybe it's just me having the intuition of knowing what I'm looking for Mm -hmm. and knowing how to find information to where I almost maybe overly assume that other people have that same intuition. So, but it's no problem. A lot of those questions I can literally answer in the span of about a minute. So it's not, uh, it's not too big of a deal. Now with the, the information hunting that you're talking about, I do a lot of that at home for myself, just out of, you know, sure curiosity. Are you, is it, I'm I'm sure there's, you know, maybe a bank of information, a source, or maybe even a spreadsheet or something, a different type of resource that you use, but is, are you and your people behind scenes just kind of rapidly clicking away on Google or is there certain reference sites for, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like with PAC 12 specific stuff, I'm guessing that there's a database for what you may be looking for to confirm. There's a website called statspass.com, which is basically one of the most in-depth statistical Mm -hmm. databases that is out there. We have subscriptions for football, basketball, uh, men's and women's basketball. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women's basketball goes back to 1999. Men's basketball and football goes back to 1996. So basically, there's a bunch of different filters that we can plug in there. There's a bunch of different things that we can sort, categorize. Basically, it's a couple clicks of a button for whatever relevant subject you want. You can do things by conference. You can do it by freshman or sophomore. You can do a continuous range. You can do entire career. There's a lot of different – once you get a handle on the platform, you know exactly what you're looking for, and you know what filters to put in place to find the information that you need. So, like, I'll give you an example. There was a game, uh, Arizona and UCLA, men's basketball. Arizona shot 
25%. Was that a game from this season? That was a game from this season. I I know what game you're talking about. I know exactly which one you're talking about. So we wanted to know if that was one of the lowest shooting percentages in the school's history. So we go, we filter basically every game that Arizona has played since 1996 and we find out that that's the lowest in that range. So how do we go back and check it even further? So we go into Arizona's record books, and Arizona does a really good job. There's a lot of schools. It's kind of funny, and I don't want to, like, rip on any schools, but, like, some schools do a tremendous job. Yeah. Like Arizona, Utah, Oregon, uh, Washington, Washington State, uh, they do a fantastic job of keeping up their archives. There are other schools that don't. That don't. So. <laughs> For us, with Arizona, it's really easy. And we go back and we see the history of the McHale Center, which is where they play, and that was Mm -hmm. a home game. And we see the lowest shooting percentage, and we're like, okay, it's the lowest in McHale. Then we go to program record, and we see that there was one that was lower. So at least we could confirm that that was the lowest shooting percentage in the history of that building. Right. And um, just a random question. I apologize for putting you on the spot. When did Arizona switch from the McKell Center? So you said it would have been over 40 years ago. Okay, okay. I wasn't sure how They've been playing at the McKell Center for a long time. So I have absolutely no idea. All I know is that 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 building is a whole heck of a lot of fun uh, from what I've been told. My boss at Pac-12 went to Arizona. A bunch of colleagues that I had there went to Arizona. So they're not very well liked by the Arizona State people. But quite frankly, I'm I'm not a big fan of Bobby Hurley, to be quite honest with you. He he looks like a lunatic sometimes on the (laughs) sidelines. Yeah, yeah. It is like – and granted, I don't think that that's something that we're allowed to say in public, but I can just say it on this podcast because – you know what? I'm just going to feel like saying it. Bobby yeah. Hurley sometimes acts like a lunatic, yep. and uh, I'm not really a big fan of that. So, Hey, everyone's got their um, coaching styles that they uh, kind of draw to. I remember when I decided that Tom Izzo and Beheim were two of my favorite college coaches as a young kid. I think I was under 10 years old. There's just like a certain coolness about the both of them, but when they needed to be fiery or intense, they could. And I, I, I saw how they interacted with their players and students, and I just um, – the way they coached and the way that they not only coached basketball but, like, you know, coached young men. So, yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate to liking or not liking a specific coach. Um, trying to think of one college basketball coach. I think mine is probably Frank Martin. Uh, just because he's so uh, militant. Um, so I, you know, maybe, you know, that, that, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people that like Frank Martin, uh, but so to well, back how is to Frank it, Martin, how is Frank Martin perceived around there now that he bolted Kansas state for to go South to South Carolina, Carolina? Um, as a big 10 guy, I really liked Bruce Weber. Yeah. I never thought Illinois <laughs> should have fired Bruce Weber. And I think that Bruce Weber in a conference that you have to deal with Kansas and Texas, mm. and a lot OU, of OU's and a lot of surging. schools that are really top basketball schools. Baylor, mm. I think that mm. Texas Tech, he has done a tremendous job of keeping Kansas State relevant on the national scene for as long as he has. You and I share the same, you know, like you know, likeness in that with our thinking. But you would be hard pressed to find a K Stater. Here And for those who aren't familiar, K-State's in a small town called Manhattan, Kansas, the Little Apple, and it is west of Kansas City by about three hours, so towards the Colorado border, and you don't see a whole lot. You see a lot of cows, uh, but yeah, K-State's this small agricultural school. Um, you're not going to find a K-Stater that likes Bruce Weber, and it's really, really weird. I, I, I don't get it. I understand that he's lost a lot of big games for them. His coaching decision at times uh, down the stretch is pretty uh, futile. I can understand. He gets made fun of a lot for his voice, especially right after a game with his just real hoarse, 
high-pitched, scratchy, you know, like K-Staters will make fun of him for that. Um, he, he honestly does not get enough love around here, in my opinion. I think he's a great coach, but you will not find a K-Stater that likes him. I don't get it. You know, Bruce Weber took the rest of what Bill Self had at Illinois before Bill Self went to Kansas. Right. And he turned that D Brown, Darren Williams, well, Luther yeah. head Illinois yeah. team into a team that should have won the national championship. And I was only 12 years old at the time, mm-hmm. but their comeback over Arizona in the Elite right. Eight, yeah. I think it was 12 points in two minutes, mm-hmm. is still to me one of the greatest comebacks in a basketball game that I've ever seen. Yeah. And my theory on this is this. Kansas State being what it is, like you said, you are not going to find a better basketball coach for that program than Bruce Weber. So to all you K-State basketball fans out there, stop complaining. Yeah, there's a lot worse. You got to an Elite Eight with him, and you got upset two years ago by a really good UC Irvine team that just got hot that day. Yeah. That game was here in San Jose. I was mm-hmm. there yeah. and I was up in the second deck. It's where the Sharks play hockey. Mm-hmm. So it's a really intimate building because it's only like 17 five in terms of capacity. And I was just down. I was just looking down at Bruce Weber with that white hair and that, that long gray suit. And I'm just yeah. like, this guy <laughs> is just being tormented right now. Like yeah. he's just going to get ripped for this loss and he does not deserve it because They've had some really darn good players during his time there. Yeah, he's definitely done some really great development work. Um, He can get out and recruit. And honestly, it's not fair, but you touched on it lightly. Um, A lot of people give him a razz about not even really winning a national title under his own conditions, you know, talking about the coattails of, uh, you know, Bill Self and um, just, you know, what he had put down there before him. So Hey, Bill Self never got to a Final Four at Illinois. Hey, that's what I try to tell him. That's, <laughs> that's what uh, he, he couldn't take the talent that he was getting and do anything with it. So, But, hey, just to uh, rewind a little bit here, Greg, I, I was curious. So you said that you started off by doing uh, history studies. That was your major in college. And – off camera, we talked a little bit. Now, you had peers that were within the student radio there. How did you first get the itch? Like, did you see someone doing broadcasting? Did you see the production that went into it? Did, did the lingo, or was it something that you always had an interest in? It's something I always had an interest in, really, more once I got to be a senior in high school. I started listening to a lot of sports talk radio, and I was like, I can do this. I think this would be a really fun career path. Little did I know how difficult it was. But I applied to Northwestern knowing that having no experience doing any journalism in high school, that applying to the journalism school directly, I was not going to get in. But I figured out through research, which it kind of brings it full circle to what I do now, that you could easily be able to participate in student media activities if you weren't in the journalism school. It was almost so like was intramurals. My, that was my, yeah, that was my route. Gotcha. And one of the reasons why I got as involved as I did, and one of the reasons why I kind of gained respect amongst the student media peers as quickly as I did, is that Tuesdays and Wednesdays in football season, you were allowed to go to football practice. They actually let media watch football practice and then conduct interviews afterward. And so the head coach, Pat Fitzgerald, would have a little scrum around him, and whoever is the starting quarterback would have a scrum around them. But the SID, if you wanted to interview like somebody random in particular, you could get, in theory, a one-on-one interview with them mm-hmm. for you know about five minutes or so. Yeah. And I always went up there to do beats for our pregame shows for student radio, because there was nobody else that had a class schedule at that time to where they could get to the football facility, which is about a mile or so away from campus, Tuesday morning at 9.30. Right. So I didn't have class until 1 o'clock on Tuesday's freshman fall quarter. So 
that's kind of how I got involved. I was at football practice pretty much every Tuesday and just somewhat grew from there. And yeah, I got yeah. more involved, learned how to board up, uh, figured, you know, finally got some on-air opportunities and just everything really grew from there. And I just threw myself into it knowing that this would be four years of learning how to do something even without any formal training. Uh, but then by the time I got to the end of sophomore year, knowing that I could lean on some people to be able to give me critiques, give me advice, and actually turn this from a hobby into a real craft. And mm. that is something that I am proud to say got me into it professionally. But I do think that if I had taken it a little bit more seriously in terms of preparation when I was younger, mm. I might be a little bit better today. Now, sure. everybody's playing catch-up in some form or another in their life, but I don't know how it would have been different for me if I had been a journalism major. All I can tell you is that the experiences I gained helped mold me into a better media professional. And I'm just going to say that as a whole because it's more than just putting on a headset and talking. Right. It's research. It's writing, yeah. it's analysis, it's production if you're doing it on the TV side or on the radio side. Uh, if you're writing something for a website, it's you know formulating a comprehensive article that is structured well and gives people a hook at the beginning to want to read. And if it's a game story, keeping that concise mm -hmm. because people don't want to read about Johnny walked to lead off the top of the fifth inning, got to second on a ground ball, and then got to third on another ground ball. He did not <laughs> score. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's my most uh, intriguing interest in baseball all the time is what, what happens to that base runner that just, you know, on ground balls gets to third but doesn't score. I, I want to know what happens every time about that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, hey, so, <clears throat> excuse me, the folks here listening know you as the Hootball Bulls guy now, how did, how did that come to be? How did, you, uh, how did you and Dan come in contact and you figure out that you were going to start covering the Bulls? So it was actually pretty simple. Uh, Dan had noticed my MLB Morning Coffee show, and I had known Dan from our time as broadcasters in the Mariners system. So – he was the broadcaster for the Bakersfield Blaze when I was with the Clinton Lumber Kings. And those are literally next to each other levels. So I'd always had some communication with Dan, and Dan just reached out to me and said, hey, we're always needing more podcasters at Hoopball. Want to do a team podcast? I'm like, sure. He's like, who do you want to do, the Warriors? I'm like, I'm actually more interested in the Bulls just because it's a easier background point for me given that I grew up more watching the Bulls than I did the Warriors. So I was like, let's do the Bulls. It was kind of just as simple as that because there wasn't a Hoopball Bulls podcast before and knowing how the network is still trying to grow and hopefully get up to all 30 teams at yeah. some point in the near future. And got to give a lot of credit to Dan for what he has done on the interactive side. Um, I am not a big fantasy basketball junkie. Mm -hmm. I've been in one of Dan's fantasy basketball leagues for about four years now. Yeah. I usually finish in second to last or last place <laughs> uh, because I know how committed he is to doing it. Uh-huh. And I give a lot of credit to Aaron Bruski for being able to build the platform in the way that he has. And yeah, it was basically just, uh, would you be interested in doing this? I'm like, yeah, sure. I have talked baseball really most of my professional career. And to have an outlet to actually talk some basketball is intriguing to me. Yeah. And it just turned out, I, I did my first show, I think, at the very beginning of March. Kind of knowing that the Bulls were going to be going into an offseason where, you know, are they going to keep Jim Boylan? Are they going to keep their front office? You know, everybody just had this assumption that the Reinsdorfs were going to be the Reinsdorfs. And... They were just going to keep the status quo because they mm -hmm. like Boylan for the fact that he's just a people pleaser and won't fight with management. Right. And COVID happens, and my show gets put on hold two weeks <laughs> in. And then once we get permission to restart, then the Bulls start making moves. They get rid of Gar Foreman. 
John Paxson goes to a senior advisory role. They hire a tourist from Denver. Mm-hmm. They get Mark Eversley from Philly. Boylan's status is further teetering toward the end. And then we get the last dance. So yeah, yeah. I kind of got lucky with all of this. Right, right. I, I wish that there was more actual basketball to talk about, but it's been really cool actually reminiscing on the Jordan years because I was so young at the time, mm-hmm. I don't really remember a whole lot other than maybe bits and pieces of the 98 finals. And as you and I were talking about, I do some games for the University of San Francisco mm-hmm. as a fill-in women's basketball and baseball broadcast. And Bill Cartwright is a special advisor to the USF Athletic Department. That's where he went to school. I had a chance to interview him one halftime, and we didn't talk about the Bulls at all because I just wanted to talk USF with him. Yeah, yeah. His memories of playing in San Francisco. But it was really cool watching Bill Cartwright on those tapes and just knowing the type of guy that he is Mm. and how big of an impact that he had and that that dynasty was more than just Jordan. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I really, I'll ask you not to turn the, the interviewer on the interviewee. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked the jumping in timelines that they did. There are a lot of people that I know that did not like that, but I thought that jumping timelines when profiling certain people or profiling the journey of the dynasty from Jordan's draft year to the end, mm. I thought was really a great introspective look to gain an understanding of the dynasty beyond that 97, 98 year. Did you like the alternating timelines? I did. Um, And if you look at it in a more, you know, simpleton layman's terms, way, the the way of the storytelling of which they tried to procure. If, if anyone's out there watched Westworld, it was essentially the same thing. Uh, They're just kind of nonchalant, not so nonchalantly going back and forth through different points of existence and timelines and whatnot. But um, all seriousness aside, I thought it was really um, important because not only do you see the impact of certain character arcs and development of, you know, say like you would be in two identical situations just six years apart featuring the same person and you see how they handled the situation simultaneously, but uh, you know, six years apart, and you see that maturation, uh, or the the struggle for like Rodman, or um, you know the the growth of Scottie Pippen. You know, it just, they did so many awesome entwining, uh, silhouette-y just types of uh, storytelling in it. I really liked it. I know there were some people that had some qualms with the fact that it jumped around a lot but what i thought it did a good job was uh good did a good job at was the fact that you still got the meat and the bones you got the story you got the important stuff and you also got to go on a little bit of an unorthodox fun uh storytelling adventure ride so one thing in particular that i thought they did a great job of a lot of people in the bay area know this because of Steve Kerr as the Mm. coach of the Warriors and knowing his background. People know nationally of Steve Kerr as this very socially active, progressive guy. And they wonder why. Why? Maybe he's just like that. Right. You see the story. With his dad? With his dad. And what his dad was trying to do to better the education of people on the world stage. In Beirut. Yes. And how Steve Kerr handled that and understanding how many things are bigger than basketball Hmm. knowing where that story came from and how that molded Kerr into what he was gives me that much more respect for who he is and how he had one scholarship coming out of high school his dad gets killed while he's in college and there was a story and this just made me really upset that there were kids at Arizona State that were taunting him during pregame over Uh, his dad getting killed. And then he comes out and dominates them that night. Yeah. I think he hit six, three pointers in that game from what I read. Mm -hmm. Like this is a guy that had every right to go into those stands and, and assault those students. In my opinion, you know, you don't 
that's just something you don't touch. Right. You don't taunt somebody about losing a family member, especially if it's a murder. Mm. And he comes out, he composes himself, and is able to come out and dominate and is as calm and collected as anybody. I think the entire country, knowing the full story of Steve Kerr, is going to educate everybody that much more on who he is and why he is the person that he is and Mm -hmm. why he's so closely associated with Greg Popovich. Yes, yeah. Um, And just in a contrasting fashion, it's really neat to hear that patience and humility within a person that's going through that kind of tribulation. But then you also hear him talk about when he, he popped Jordan in the schnoz uh, at practice and got in that little scrum with him and stood up for himself. So I think that's what makes Steve Kerr a great competitor. He has that, uh, oh, what is just that balance, you know, the, um, the Thanos effect, if you will. He's got the uh, – it's, it's perfectly balanced the way it should be. You know, he, he's got that fieriness. And we've seen it as he coached when he punctured the, the clipboard with the marker in the playoffs a couple years ago. Uh, we've seen him turn beat red on the sidelines. And, uh, but most of the time you also see him um, getting his guys through some hard, hard stretches throughout the game, throughout the season. And I think uh, the background that we now have some clairvoyance on um, into who he is as a person, I think that gives us a, a, a good insight and determination as to, you know, kind of who he is and what he offers as not only a coach, a uh, previous player, but, you know, just a man, a, 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 a gentleman, a, a guy in America in general, you know, just a person, a human. There's a great story. I can't remember where I read it, but there is – a series of wine bars, they're called Vino Volo. Mm. They're basically your airport wine bars. Mm-hmm. And Kerr's in the Oakland airport about to fly somewhere with one of his assistant coaches. And this is told through the lens of the bartender, and they got Kerr on the record for this story as well. And this is right after Kerr had been hired. And the guy's like, what type of offense are you going to run? And Kerr's like, Give me, uh, give me some almonds and give me some olives. And he's basically trying to diagram the offense <laughs> yeah. at, the, at the airport wine bar yeah. with olives and almonds. And one of the reasons why the Warriors have been as good as they have been is because Kerr has that knowledge from running the triangle with Phil mm-hmm. and then running what he did in San Antonio with Popovich. Mm-hmm. So to me, when you look at the impact that the Bulls had on – the rest of basketball Steve Kerr is the embodiment of the triangle offense Phil Jackson Tex winner and that entire system Mm. the Warriors offense under Mark Jackson was terrible it was awful because it was a lot of iso ball and Curry it was stagnant but the Warriors once Kerr came in because of the knowledge that he had of how the triangle worked because when you think about it the Warriors don't run the triangle but it's very similar in terms of the ball movement to the triangle of the Bulls' offense. Open and up different possibilities. and Yeah, exactly. And to be able to have somebody, you know, that little rotating point in the early Warriors years of their dynasty, you know, Andrew Bogut was a great passer. Oh, my gosh. One of the more underrated players of, in my opinion, uh, this, this decade, easily. The fact that he could just run the offense from the elbow and be able to Mm -hmm. distribute boom, boom, boom. And all that stems from Phil Jackson. And one of the things that the documentary did for me was underscore the fact that Phil Jackson was willing to learn as well as teach. And the one thing that I didn't really like is that they didn't really give Doug Collins his due. Yeah, yeah. And it somewhat was just painted as a, well, Doug Collins just wanted to give the ball to Michael, whereas Phil wanted to run the triangle offense. And they sort of made it like he ostracized Tex Winter, and then mm-hmm. as soon as Phil gets the job, Tex Winter becomes the main guy. Yeah. I wish that we had gotten a bigger perspective from Doug Collins, but – Maybe Doug didn't really want to go on the record with that. Sure. Doug is still with the Bulls organization today. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. 
I, didn't I don't know, know what his status is now in the Karnaschovas and yeah. Eversley era, but up until, as far as I know, up until Karnaschovas got hired, Collins was an advisor in the Bulls organization. Yeah. You know, he was also one of my uh, more, you know, liked coaches personally uh, in the early, early 2000s. Um, and I had honestly forgot that he started with the Bulls. So when that part of the documentary uh, popped up and you had – young Doug Collins with his almost uh, jerry-curled uh, mullet uh, grease sweat thing going. I was like, whoa, that's Doug Collins. That's, uh, that's really neat. And that's another part about the Last Dance documentary I really enjoyed was the fact that it was a lot of refresher. It was a lot of uh, remembering certain faces on certain teams and rosters. You know, those Nets teams that Calipari coached, the guys that were on – that, you know, in, in that uh, franchise at that time, you know, Kerry Kittles was one of my favorite early 2000s basketball players. And I uh, probably haven't thought about him since my freshman year of high school, but there he was, you know. I was like, oh, wow, yeah, Kerry Kittles. Uh, so, yeah, it was – I hope basketball fans in a time of need, what we needed, got what we needed out of that 10-part series. I'm going to be binging it, I think, again to try to find more things and – because, you know, like a lot of us, you know, especially in you and I's age group, Greg, uh, you know, it's like, sure, we remember it, but like, we probably wish we would have had at least 10 to 12 years more so we can regurgitate in full formed pictures, emotion and remembrance, the fact that what was seen and that was two three-peats, six championships in eight years. And Michael freaking Jordan is like, you know, you just, you you can't, uh, oh, to be alive in an adult in the late eighties and the nineties and when the economy was roaring and the, the sports were thriving and you had champions out there and you had Michael Jordan, um, man, it, it, it would have been fun. I think it would have been a blast. Also underscores the fact that based on what you saw with the 2000s Lakers, that Phil Jackson is the greatest coach in the history Ever. of basketball. Not only did uh, – and I was – okay, it's funny you said that. I was actually laying in bed thinking about this last night, you know, full of food and beer. Um, I, I was laying in bed, and I was like just randomly thought about Phil Jackson, and I've done this before, and it's just baffling. Because if you, if you take the background information that we were given in that documentary, there's no way he should have been as successful as he was. He was just a small, like his first coaching gig even, like no one was really impressed with him. He wasn't really making that much headway. He was trying to do these weird things. But how do you win six championships with Michael Jordan and then say, you know what, I'm going to take a year off. And then you go coach Kobe and Shaq and you win five more. How, how do you – and not only do you win as a player with the Knicks, so the historical franchises – so he's a player with the Knicks, probably one of the most historical franchises. He established, he created, he, he, he developed what the Bulls are now. Like, you know, he built it – him and Jordan and the rest of those guys, it, it, it was Rome, you know. Chicago is Rome in that franchise setting. And then – you go and top it off with the other historical franchise of the Lakers. And it's just like one guy to be so connected with so much winning to these beautiful historical franchises is just baffling, just baffling. You know, it's funny to me, and maybe I'm in the minority here. I really hate when people are trying to compare who's the greatest MJ versus LeBron. That should not be the comparison. It should be MJ versus Kobe yeah. because the variables are similar. They played in the same system. Mm-hmm. They were almost the same player. While Jordan, I think, probably had a little bit more hops than Kobe did. Kobe was probably a little bit better of a perimeter shooter. Again, though, the game is different. Kobe and Michael are so much different than LeBron. Mm. And the thing that gets me is that you talk about success. Kobe Bryant, I think, lost one finals. I think Mm -hmm. Kobe went 5-1 and in the finals. He lost that one to the Celtics. 
Michael Jordan went 6-0 and in the finals. Mm-hmm. LeBron, on some teams that were manufactured by him, by him, <laughs> went three and six. He went two and two with the team that everybody declared the going to win a super team. Yes. <laughs> and then, it, all right, this is just my opinion. Sure. If he doesn't bait Draymond in game five, if he doesn't step over him, or in game four, sorry. He's two and seven. Yeah. They don't win that series. Okay. They got really lucky that the NBA suspended Draymond and that LeBron was able to effectively draw that out. You know, just a happenstance. You know, he positions himself to a point where Draymond's going to end up, you know, rising up on him. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that's me thinking that the NBA is a little bit too star centric, mm-hmm. but if that doesn't happen, the Warriors win four in a row and LeBron is two and seven. Yeah. And you know what? There's a big difference. And I'm not, I think LeBron James off the court is a phenomenal person. He's, He's done a lot of good for his community. Yes. But Michael Jordan, after Doug Collins played for Phil Jackson for the last, what was it? If, if you want to talk, even with Jordan's absence, you know, Phil Jackson was the coach of the Bulls starting in 89. Yeah. Who has LeBron James gone through in terms of his coaches? He's gone through Mike Paul Brown. Silas, Mike Brown, David Blatt, um, Teron Lue they Luke, fired yep. after he left, Luke Walton. Yep. LeBron's a coach killer. Michael was not. And people also forget about the Lakers that Phil Jackson took another break from the Lakers mm-hmm. because he had worn out. Yep. Rudy Tomjanovich comes in, yep. and then they get Phil to come back, and they win two more. So <laughs> you can't blame Kobe for that. Shaq yep. had already gone yep. by the time that Phil came back the second time. So, you know, I'm looking at the reputations of guys like, like Kobe and Michael, and I'm not saying LeBron isn't driven, but the competitive edge of Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and the desire to be the greatest and to grind as opposed to the superficial stuff is so much more inherent with them than it is with LeBron. I don't want people to listen to this and think that I'm ripping on LeBron for the sake of ripping on LeBron. Sure, sure. Because LeBron is one of the greatest of all time in his own right. But I don't think when you look at championship pedigree that you can put LeBron on the same level as Michael and you certainly can't put him on the same level as Kobe. Mm. I, um, I couldn't agree with you more. <clears throat> and like you said, this isn't a uh, Rip LeBron podcast or episode or anything, but if you watch that 10-part series and you don't come out of there thinking that Michael Jordan is the best player that has ever existed by far, uh, I'm sorry, but you're – probably not an intelligible person <laughs> i just I, it's just oh here hold on let me catch my words up here you, you looked at the people the players the teams even some of those first round teams those second rounds and sure jordan had some early exits but he was playing uh you know the celtics when he was all by himself as a second year man or a third year guy he eliminated Patrick Ewing in the Knicks four times from the playoffs. The most out of the 20 Hall of Famers he's eliminated. He eliminated 20 Hall of Famers from the I NBA playoffs. That stat. that stat about how many Hall mm. of Famers he eliminated. 20. How many 60-plus win teams that they beat in the playoffs? And one of my other great stats about that, is that Jordan only went to a game seven right. twice in the six championships. Yep. That's amazing. Yep. That they all, and that Indiana series was probably, as they said, the most hot, hard-fought series that they ever had. And I, there was a lot of people in the documentary that when they gave their interviews, I really liked. There's a lot of people's interviews that I really mm-hmm. didn't like. 
Isaiah Thomas, to me, comes out really bad in all of this. Yeah. And he has been constantly ripped. And I don't think... It's not it, stopping anytime soon after this. I don't think that it was a... How do I want to phrase this? I think it was intentional that they structured it in the way that they did mm-hmm. because you can tell that Jordan still has a slight with Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. And think about this. Is there a player that is as hated in his own hometown mm. as Isaiah Thomas is in Chicago? Mm. Because he's from Chicago. Right. And they hate him. Yeah. They absolutely despise him. I love the magic interviews. Um, I really wish that we had gotten something from the Blazers. Yeah. Like Barkley, I thought. Barkley was great. Barkley, when talking about the 93 battle, was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Gary Payton. I love Gary Payton. He's trash talking to the core. Oh, yeah. And we got a little bit from Stockton. I wanted to see something from Carl Malone. I really did. But there's obviously a lot of things, and we don't have to go into them here, that have come to light negatively about Carl Malone since then. So maybe Malone. The age of his. Uh, daughter, uh, something like that. Uh, but like you said, we don't have to get into it. But they, if it, if you want to find it, it's out there. There's some people. I, I actually saw it on Twitter last night. They were talking about, oh, well, with the conclusion of the Last Dance uh, documentary, let's not forget how uh, crappy of a person Carl Malone was. And they they put out like these different timelines of these stories that came out about him, and which sucks. I mean, I didn't know a lot about that, but. Um, here's something interesting for you as well. So the pioneer league, which is where I worked in minor league baseball for two years, it's in the States of Montana, Idaho, Utah, and Colorado. One of the, so on the Utah trip, we always go to Ogden, Utah, which is North of Salt Lake Uh and Orem, Utah, which is South of Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. And here's the reason why I'm talking about this. My favorite thing to do after games in Ogden, there is a late-night pizza place open on 25th Street in Ogden, the Lucky Slice. Mm-hmm. Shout-out to them. Their pizza's fantastic. <laughs> but now all of a sudden, I'm thinking about all the pizza places I've been to in Utah because I've been to pizza places in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of really good ones that I've been to. I've actually spent a couple of different times in Salt Lake. I really like the city. But now I'm, I'm thinking, man, the Utah pizza industry is really going to be hurting after this. <laughs> There's apparently some guy that like reported to the Sporting News, and I haven't had a chance to read the story yet, that said he was the one that made Michael Jordan's pizza. Oh, the one that gave him. Oh, and that was another cool thing where Jordan flat out was just like, that wasn't the flu game. That was a food poisoning game. Like, when he said that, I got chills. I was like, oh, snap, plot twist. I was like, whoa. I thought it was really, really awesome. I also didn't realize, and I know that there have been issues, and you said you're from Oklahoma. I don't know how big of an affinity you have for the Thunder, but the issues that Russell Westbrook had in Utah, Mm. I'm not surprised by them at all. Yeah. Given what we saw of Utah fans from the last dance. Yeah. Yeah. It's always been a very tough place to go play. So I actually, um, speaking of growing up in Oklahoma, so the Thunder weren't around until my later parts of high school. So I grew up a Mavericks fan, uh, them being just a couple hours away. And uh, Dirk Nowitzki, Steve Nash, Michael Finley, Jerry Stackhouse, Josh Harreld, Marquise Daniels, Dasagana Jop, all those guys just kind of made it easy. Don Nelson. Uh, so yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Mavericks fan, but I hear what you're saying about that Westbrook stuff. Well, Hoop Ballers, just a reminder, I have Greg Mraz with me from Hoop Ball Bulls. This is today in sports betting. We're talking a little bit about what happened with the last bit of the last dance stuff. Greg's given me some insight as far as statistic breakdowns for the Pac-12 network, what goes into his minor league baseball coverage. He also talked about the uh, uh, Coffee and Baseball podcast. Um, So you can find all of his work and stuff that he does uh, at his Twitter handle. It's going to be Greg 
um, sorry, at Greg D. Imroz, and that's M-R-O-Z. Am, am I saying that right, Greg? Some yes, of those, you are. Okay, there are right. very few people right. <laughs> that actually get it right from the jump. So uh, much appreciated that you were able to deduce that right away. Perfect. I've gotten to the point in my life where I don't care if people don't get it right. Yeah. There are people that get offended when people don't get their names right. Unless you know, uh-huh. then it's not a big deal. But as a broadcaster, mm-hmm. if you have that phonetics guide, yeah. You better darn get it right. Yes, yeah. Uh, some of those phonetics, I've seen some of those sheets and stuff, and the phonetics confuse me more than the actual names because you have to sit there and piece it together and, like, uh, uh, you know, use your syllables and try to figure out how to flow it without making it blockish and seem like you're reading a phonetic reading, you know? Um, that's the issues I've had with that. Well, hey, Greg, I am going to go ahead and uh, – you know, let you have the floor here towards the back end of the show. I want you to talk about any upcoming stuff that you're excited about that you are doing. Um, and, you know, just also familiarize yourself, not only with uh, our listeners, but, you know, hopefully some new listeners that we were able to gain from our cross uh, podcast show here. And um, just talk about a little bit what you got going on, what you're excited for, maybe the normalcy and return of baseball you know you're looking forward to that as far as uh uh your concerns uh go i i I would assume so i am um so yeah before we uh bid the listeners and everyone else adieu uh just kind of want to hear what you've got going on in your plate so hopefully i'm not doing mlb morning coffee every day like i had been Uh but i'm trying to make sure that the episodes i'm putting out are impactful if baseball comes back That'll be back to a daily thing and try and be like a daily update thing that you can get on and be able to do in the mornings. I am going to, on Thursday for Friday publication, I'm going to have our first guests on the Hoopball Chicago Bulls podcast, the gentleman from the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. Hmm. It is a Chicago sports and culture podcast. I did a Zoom session with them just chatting last week, and they seem really cool. Uh, Chicago guys to the core they have a a really nice insight into underground chicago house music and and hip-hop so i'm excited to talk with those guys oh yeah we're gonna talk mainly about the last dance and Uh just have a really open forum and i'll be going on their show the following week and i'm hoping that at least when we're talking about the bulls i want to do some player profiles i want to be able to talk about a couple of other historical seasons more in depth so maybe a couple historiographical episodes and then maybe the biggest news that and maybe your hoopball gaming uh your today in sports betting crowd can picture a line on this the odds of jim boylan staying or the (laughs) odds of him getting fired which i assume if you go to whatever sports booking outlet online that you can and i know that we are a my bookie affiliate here mm-hmm. at hoopball i'm sure that the odds on boylan's job security have already been set just because of how much change has already gone on with the bulls this off season it is going to be Devin, to me one of the weirdest times in sports because when the season comes back we don't know i feel like just based on what i'm seeing Major League Baseball is desperate to get back online because they're losing a lot of revenue because they never had the season to begin. Yeah, I think that the NFL is going to trudge ahead because that's what they always seem to do. I honestly think that the NBA, more than any of the other four sports leagues, might get canceled outright for this season and have them start over. Yeah. I feel like when it comes to the four pro sports commissioners, the one that errs on the side of caution more than any of them is Adam Silver. Silver. Mm. And I think he's the best commissioner in pro sports. I second that. I second that. And I think that he understands that a restart might hurt the integrity of the game. Obviously, if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan, that is not something you want to hear. Yeah. Or if you're a Los Angeles Lakers fan, more so the Bucks because 
Giannis basically has one more year left in Milwaukee before he hits unrestricted free agency. So I really feel for Milwaukee Bucks fans. You lose in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and then you're the best team in the NBA by far this year, and everything shuts down on you. But I don't know how this affects timelines for next year. Yeah. I seriously think that whatever it is, Christmas Day 2020 is opening day for the 2020-2021 NBA season. I can see I that. I really do. Yeah. I yeah. think the NBA is going to have a shortened next season if they want to finish this season. So I guess the NBA has to make a decision upon whether or not they want to finish this season as best they can or have as full of a next season as best they can. Right. But in summation, we're going to have a lot of fun speculation shows because speculation is all we can really do right now. Yeah. Uh, Leaving it to the imagination, to say the least. Well, who bothers you heard it. If you are in Utah, you got to go eat pizza on 25th Street. Uh, If you need Bulls coverage, Greg's your man. If you need some good statistical conversations or breakdowns, he's also your guy. Real smart Northwestern education. Uh, really great contributor here for Hootball. Glad to have him on in the part of this family. Uh, yeah, Greg, hope, Greg, hopefully we do this uh, again here relatively soon. I want to, like you said, uh, talk about some of those Bulls player profiles. Uh, I, I think it'd be really cool to break down in some players, maybe some uh, – younger guys that maybe you're a little excited about. Um, And even after the NBA draft, maybe could break down the Bulls draft pick uh, or two, whatever they end up doing. Well, that's another question, Devin, is the NBA draft. Right. When is it going to happen? You can't – could you, in theory, have the NBA draft before the NBA season is done? I think at this point – you kind of have to. I mean, these kids' futures are, you know, waiting in the balance. I mean, all of ours are, right, sure. But, like, these kids are trying to do a very specific thing, and that is make it into a professional sports league, of which is currently canceled uh, or postponed. But, you know, it's um, – like you said, Adam Silver is a smart guy. He understands – the worth of the draft. He understands that taking care uh, of the next group of talent and the young guys coming up is important. I think we've seen that showcased in how he handles his players um, in a real uh, mature way. Um, He's not a dream killer. That's for sure. He's here as a commissioner. It's good to see him looking to try to help build every player in the NBA and G league affiliate, you know, all of their dreams, you know, that you can tell that that's uh, as well as being a smart businessman and a commissioner, uh, Adam Silver, I think he has the most balanced and most figured out. So I know the draft's important to him. I think he's going to make a sound decision regardless. Um, so we'll, yeah, we'll see where, what comes of it, but there's some really good talents in this uh, upcoming draft, and I'm sure the Bulls are looking forward to hopefully grabbing um, you know, another young piece to maybe put up there with Kobe White and uh, you know the rest of the guys you got uh, playing ball up there. So, um, Greg, again, thank you so much, bud. Um, sorry if we ran a li- little long-winded. I was uh, enjoying myself, and uh, it was our first time working, working together, so I wasn't going to stifle it or – put any barriers or anything on it so with that being said greg i am going to uh sign us out of here and bid adieu to our listeners and our uh family out there uh and with one last parting thought guys uh yesterday's show was supposed to go up but i had a new uh arrival into the earth uh i was able to greet my daughter aspen chad ellington uh into the uh planet yesterday so With all that being said, guys, make sure to send warm, loving uh, thoughts and recovery wishes to Mama. Uh, Everyone's healthy. So, um, yeah, I I love being able to do this, so I appreciate it so much, guys. Uh, Greg, any last parting words, bud? First off, congratulations on the birth of your daughter. Thank you. Uh, That is a moment you will never forget. 
Yeah. And I can't imagine having a kid during the era of COVID-19. That is sight unseen amazing. Uh, obviously, nobody had any idea, uh, especially any you know pregnant wives uh, in the last two months certainly had no idea. But all I can say is, is that it was a lot of fun. Uh, I love having these open forum conversations, being able to shoot the breeze, talk some ball, and be able to really converse about the thing that drives us the most, and that's sports and basketball. And, and I hope that we have a chance to do this again. I certainly would love to have you come on my show, and we'll schedule out of time to do that. And let's just keep this flowing, man. Uh, good vibes rolling. And uh, go Bulls, as I always end all of my shows with. Yeah, keep it flowing and let the good times keep rolling. You heard it here from Greg, guys. Thank you, Hootballers. Thank you, Greg. Everybody take care. I will see you on the next one. Bye-bye. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.